We'll open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter one. Proverbs, the first chapter. As you're turning there, I got a story I have to tell you about the title. A few years ago, I was up in Iowa doing a retreat, a men's retreat, and I did an overview of the, uh, the, overview of the book of Proverbs. And the title for that was Uncommon Wisdom from an Unlikely Source. I sent them that ahead of time. And what I didn't anticipate is that they were gonna put some advertising together. And so when I got there, there were, I don't know, a couple hundred men in this, this audience. And the title came up and it said, Uncommon Wisdom from an Unlikely Source. And my name was under it, Rick Holland. <laughs> so I, that is not what we're doing tonight, I, I can assure you. But it is an unlikely source that Solomon would be the one that we would look to. And I think you'll understand that by the time we finish our study this evening. Proverbs chapter one, all I'm gonna do tonight is do verse one. And as I told you this morning, this is the first time I've ever in my entire 30 plus years of ministry shared an exposition with some friends. So Aaron and Adam and Myrl over the coming weeks, we're gonna, we've uh, outlined the the book at least for the next year and we're gonna team teach that. And um, so they're not only excited about doing that, they're praying that I'm sick on the night that I'm supposed to preach. So we're excited to do this together and I think the camaraderie of doing that will be an encouragement to each other and certainly will overflow with you. Proverbs 1.1 says, the Proverbs or the wise pithy sayings of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. We're gonna stop right there. It surprised no one that life is inextricably, inexplainably complicated at many levels. Every day brings a unique set of problems and challenges and difficulties. And all of them require decisions to be made. You can almost define all of life and you can certainly define your life before the Lord by, by decisions. How do you make decisions and what criteria do we use to make those decisions either point to a great and glorious God or bring ourselves pleasure, which are not always in contradiction, but can be if we're doing that independent of him. In fact, you could say that most of your life today was defined by the decisions you made. You made decisions about what to eat for lunch, what to eat for breakfast. You made decisions about whether to come to church this morning and tonight. You made a decision about which route to take when you were driving here. And you will make dozens, if not hundreds of decisions before you sleep tonight. How do you make decisions? Well, in the wisdom of God, as he put together his word and put together the 66 books of the Bible, every book stands uniquely informing of our souls, uniquely important in how we live life. Proverbs stands in such a sweet spot in the canon of scripture. It's basically telling us how to make decisions, how to make decisions that will bring us the maximum enjoyment of life and how to make decisions that will bring glory and honor and pleasure to God. It's odd that Solomon would be the author of Proverbs. So let me give you a couple of bookends. He wrote Proverbs at the beginning of his reign, and we'll look at that in a moment, and wrote the book of Ecclesiastes after he had crashed and burned and dissolved his leadership and lost his credibility, returned to his senses, and that was what the book of Ecclesiastes is. 
He reigned over Israel as a king during the time of Israel's greatest influence from 971 to 931 BC. He was the king. And according to 1 Kings 431, he was wiser than all the men in the world and people would travel from all around the the region just to hear him talk and decide matters. Second Chronicles notes that Solomon was the richest man on the planet. So imagine having all the money to do anything you want and to get anything you want and all the wisdom to make the best decisions possible. Should be a recipe for a great life. And he lived part of that life, but the book of Ecclesiastes tells us before long he began to turn those gifts that God had given him on, on, onto himself. And instead of serving God with those gifts of finances and wisdom and fame, he used it on himself. The most telling thing we find about Solomon is that for at least a portion of his life, he loved the Lord. And that's important. That defines the book of Proverbs. He was walking in the statutes of his father David, according to 1 Kings 3.3. 3. Now, how could a man of the, with the wisdom of Solomon ever make decisions that would lead him? Remember the book of Ecclesiastes? Remember, remember 1 Kings 11? How could such a wise man end up making the decision to have 700 wives and 300 other concubines or women in his life? How could he defy the Lord who clearly said in the book of Deuteronomy that a king is to only have one wife? How did he end up there? In a strange way, the book of Proverbs illustrates illustrates the limitation of wisdom without Christ. We live in a time when we have the whole Bible, the Old and New Testament. We live in a time where we understand the gospel. We've been given the grace of information about what Christ has done and God sending his son. Solomon had great wisdom here. And for those of us who know and love the Lord Jesus, this is practical sanctification. This is application 101. Only after a person has received God's grace through the gospel of Christ can that person truly live the wise life that Solomon outlines for us in the 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs. It's an amazing book. And my experience with Proverbs is, is anecdotal but, but powerful. Uh, there have been times in my life, I'm in one of those seasons right now, where I have tried to read a proverb, the chapter of Proverbs a day, you know, it's the, the, uh, the seventh, so it is the seventh, isn't it? Just making sure. The seventh, so you read the seventh, proverb, uh, seventh chapter of Proverbs, eight, eight, and when you get to the end and the months go 30 or 31, you can double up. It's amazing how many times I've read Proverbs, and no matter how many times I read it, how many times a verse jumps off the page and says, wow. So what I want to do tonight is... Because Solomon's life is an enigma. It started so promising and ended so negatively. How do we understand him as the author? How do we understand this first verse, which says he was the writer and the collector of this book? Well, we've said, uh, told you this morning, and we're gonna use this phrase throughout the, the study of Proverbs. Proverbs is basically a book that teaches you this, how to be wise enough to know you're not wise enough. 
In other words, it's putting yourself in the position of humility and putting yourself in the position of a learner, putting yourself under divine authorities. Parents are gonna be accented in this first chapter. Uh, kings and, and uh, uh, people to whom we submit to in the government. Uh, mentors and theologians and the word of God. How do we submit ourselves to the proper authorities in life and then respond in a way where we're walking wisely because walking wisely will bring us the maximum enjoyment and the maximum pleasure in this life. And Solomon promises that all through this book. Are you wise enough to know that you're not wise enough? When will we ever be wise enough? I don't know that there's there's ever a time, even in eternity, we will constantly forever be learning, growing and understanding the grace and amazing nature of our God. So to begin the book of Proverbs, we first have to ask, are, are you teachable? Lesson 101 throughout this first chapter is going to be, are you wise enough to know that you need to grow? Wise enough to know that you're not wise enough and need to grow in wisdom. Well, for our study tonight, I want to consider why we should listen to Solomon, why we should listen to the book of Proverbs. And I think you'll find this interesting historically. I'm going to give you four sources of Solomon's credibility, four sources of Solomon's credibility. Why should we listen to Solomon? Well, the first one is found in 1 Kings 3. It's revelation, revelation. He had wisdom from God. Turn over to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3, probably not a book that you are studying and reading a lot, but certainly one that is full of insights in the history of these first kings in the, in the nation of Israel's history. God revealed his wisdom to Solomon. This is an interesting story. Maybe, maybe you've heard, heard it, maybe you know it, but it's certainly worth rehearsing again. 1 Kings chapter 3, now Solomon, verse 3, now Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes, the commands, the precepts of his father David, except, except, and stop right there. Anytime you ever hear someone was walking with the Lord, except, you know there's a problem following. He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now, without going into a lot of detail, he was going to have wives that were introduced to him that were basically peace treaty. He would, what would happen is he would make a peace treaty with Egypt and they would give him wives from Egypt. He would give them wives from, from uh, the, the Jews and they would intermarry and have children. And then the peace treaty was, well, we're not gonna attack them. Those are our cousins. It's exactly what God warned him not to do, by the way. But early in his life, he's walked with the Lord. He loved the Lord. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, verse four, for that was on the great high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night and God said, <laughs> put your seatbelt on. God comes to Solomon in a dream and he says this, Solomon, ask what you wish me to give you. I've thought about that before. If God showed up in a dream with you tonight and said, what do you want? I'll give you anything you want. What would you say? Solomon answers and he says, you have shown great loving kindness to your servant, my father David, according 
to the way he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. You've reserved for him great, this great loving kindness that you've given him a son to sit on his throne as of this day. I'm a fulfillment of this promise to rule through David. And now, O Lord, you have made your servant a king in the place of my father. Yet I am but a little child and I do not know how to go out or come in. What he's saying is I'm young and I'm clueless. He doesn't mean I'm a little child that walks around five or six years old. He's just saying, listen, I'm young and I, I am not as smart and wise as I need to be to be king of Israel. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So, and here's his request. Solomon, what do, you, what do you want? I'll give you anything you want. This is what Solomon wants. Give me, give your servant an understanding or wise heart so I may judge your people to judge the people and to discern good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours so here it is God asks Solomon what do you want I'll give you anything you want he says I want a wise heart so that I'm a good leader I can lead your people and I can know and discern the difference between right and wrong good and evil bad and good God's response is in verse 10 It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon asked this thing. God said to him, because you've asked this thing, and listen, not asked for yourself a long life or have asked for yourself riches or asked for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for discernment to understand justice, behold. And remember when you read the word behold in the Old Testament, that's like saying, guess what? Behold, guess what? I have done according to your words. I'm gonna give you that wisdom you want. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart that there will be no one like you before you or after you. And I've given you also what you've not asked for. Riches and honor so that there will not be any among the kings like you in all your days. Verse 14. Always pay attention to the ifs. In the Bible, if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes, my commands, your father, like your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. I'll even give you a longer life. Then Solomon awoke, and it was a dream. He came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered burnt offerings and made peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. Now, the important thing to realize here is that Solomon's wisdom was a gift from God. It was revelation. He had divine revelation to give him the way to see things and to, cause, to, have, to make decisions and to lead decisions to the Lord like no one ever before him. So when we listen to Solomon, we're not just listening to a, a guy who's kind of smart and wise. We're listening to someone who's given a gift by God. This gift by God is you are going to have greater wisdom than anyone who's ever lived before or after you. According to this text, we can, we can clearly conclude that except for Jesus Christ himself, no wiser man has ever walked the earth other than Solomon. It's amazing. Revelation, he had wisdom from God. Another source of Solomon's credibility, why we should listen to him, is deliberation. His deliberation. In other words, he collected proverbial wisdom. For this, turn over to Ecclesiastes. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. 
Because Solomon tells us something about himself at the end of his life about this. He had a, a hobby. He had a, a passion to collect wisdom, to collect Proverbs. This was amazing to me because even though Solomon had been given wisdom from God, he still sought wisdom that was in the, in the culture, in, in, in wise men. He collected wise sayings. He established or evaluated them rather according to the wisdom of God to see if they were divine truth. We see in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 9, a little hint at this. In addition to being a wise man, the preacher, he's speaking of himself here, taught the people knowledge. He pondered and searched out and arranged many Proverbs. This is Solomon in Ecclesiastes talking about the book of Proverbs. He collected, originated, and arranged many proverbial statements, many statements of wisdom. Now, I wanna back up from this for just a second. The book of Proverbs has been called a lot of things. They say it's a parenting manual. It's certainly a great parenting manual. It's supposed to be a leadership manual. It's certainly a great leadership manual. But if you read 1 Kings 11, if you read the book of Proverbs closely and the emphasis on my son, my son, my son, this is really Solomon's legacy to Rehoboam, his son. Basically, he's saying, Rehoboam, if you'll listen to this wisdom and apply yourself to this understanding, you will be a great king, a greater king than I am. Spend some time this week at the end of 1 Kings 11 and see if Rehoboam applied that wisdom. And he didn't. He immediately became a manipulative lying king and it cost him his kingdom because right after Solomon, remember Rehoboam and Jeroboam split the kingdom in the northern and southern tribes with Israel and Judah. Rehoboam did not listen well, but you and I can. Now, in this arranging of Proverbs, we have to remember, because this is a book of the Bible and the Holy Spirit authored this through Solomon, we have to remember that God himself arranged these proverbial statements, these gems of wisdom in a way that will be accessible and understandable to you and me. Let me give you a quick breakdown. Proverbs 1 to 9 is the parental section. This is where he's talking to his sons and his sons and daughters. It's really a father-son talk. From chapters 10 to 24, it's just a collection of pithy little proverbs with some context that relate to each other and some that are standalone verses. Then Proverbs 25 to 29 throw a lot of people into a loop <laughs> because Proverbs 25 says that these, these uh, uh, actually 137 proverbs between Proverbs 25 to 29 were collected by King Hezekiah included in the book. But King Hezekiah ruled 200 years after Solomon. So how did his collection of Proverbs make it in there? Because apparently Solomon had spoke so many thousands of Proverbs. First Kings 4 tells us thousands and thousands of Proverbs that they, they began to be collected by lots of people. Hezekiah found that collection and included it in the book of Proverbs himself. So Solomon's sayings added 200 years later by Hezekiah, it says so in chapter 25. Proverbs 30, by the way, is the Proverbs of Agur. How do we know that? Because it says the Proverbs of Agur. And then what I find most intriguing is Proverbs 31, which describes the, the great godly woman, the excellent wife, and it's singular, 
was written not by Solomon, but by Lemuel. How do we know that? Because it says in the beginning of chapter that Lemuel wrote that. I do find it intriguing that God did not allow Solomon to write on the excellent wife. And that's kind of obvious why, right? He had a thousand women. I think those thousand women, had he wrote Proverbs 31, it would have all been saying, so is that me that you're talking about? So he had deliberation. He clearly deliberated, collected, thought about, arranged Proverbs for our edification, for our equipping. Number three, why should we listen to Solomon? A third reason, his, a source for his credibility is experimentation. He experienced the best and the worst of life. We studied this a few years ago in the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes chapter two, verses one through 12, he, he actually tested seven pleasures of the world. Materialism, getting all he wanted, sex, music, entertainment, partying, getting drunk. He tried these experiments. He experimented with pleasure and his conclusion was, I turned to consider, excuse me, thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and behold, it was all vanity and striving after the wind, no profit under the sun. He increased more than anyone who preceded him and his conclusion was vanity of vanities, emptiness, steam off a cup of coffee, transient, there for a moment gone are the pleasures of the world. His experience in wrongly applying his wisdom should cause us to listen to his mistakes. I think the book of Ecclesiastes is basically saying this. You can listen to and learn from Solomon's mistakes or you can make your own. And Solomon has given us a story of his, it's a humble story of his failings and his approach to finding meaning in life without God. And it left him utterly lacking. So we should listen to him because God gave him the wisdom and he also wrongly applied wisdom. So he's been there and done that is the way we would say it today. And so it's perfectly acceptable to listen to. And the fourth reason we should listen to Solomon, the fourth source of his credibility, I need you to look at this. If we keep referring to it, turn to 1 Kings chapter 11. Because his ultimate credibility came from his deterioration. Solomon's life accelerated into a cul-de-sac. In 1 Kings chapter 11, we, it's the last time we hear from Solomon or about Solomon in in the history book section of the Bible. It's a sad, sad story. Now Solomon, King Solomon, here it is, loved many foreign women. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh, these were some of his marriage alliances he had, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. From the nations specifically which the Lord God had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart after their gods. This is what the narrator tells us. Solomon held fast to these in love. It it would be, I think, wrong to not have a mini few seconds of a dating series here for those of you who are single. Solomon is clearly saying, 
God is clearly saying, the person you choose to love will have the greatest impact on who you become in your life. Said spiritually, the person you choose to love and ultimately marry, no one will have a greater impact on your life, positively or negatively, than that person. That's borne out in Solomon's life. I, I'm always in trouble when I say this, but Kim, thank you for marrying me. I, I am so thankful to be married to my wife. I shudder to think what my life would be like without the spiritual influence of my sweet bride. Let me encourage you. You're, you can become, as a married person, you can become a great spiritual influence in the life of your spouse, or you can be an anchor around their, their ankles as they try to pursue what's right before the Lord. And if you're single, make decisions wisely. Who will have a spiritual influence on your life to lead you to a greater love for Christ, a greater understanding of his word? Solomon held fast to these women in love and they turned, it says, they turned his heart away from God to idols. It gets worse. Verse three, he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines and his wives turned his heart away. How clear is that? When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after their gods and his heart was not wholly, entirely devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his father David had been. And then it goes on to chronicle what Solomon did. Verse six, it was evil in the sight of the Lord. He begins building these altars to the gods of his wives. Solomon's life began to deteriorate and it deteriorated because of the spiritual influence of these these women on him moving his heart away from God and toward their idols. One of the great significant lessons of the life of Solomon is the numbing effects of sin. It just numbs you and you can't feel the pain, the eternal impact that's gonna have. Toleration of sin always leads to approval of sin, which always leads to participation in sin. And that's gonna be a lesson you're gonna hear over and over and over. One of the first lessons in chapter one of Proverbs is the, the power of peer pressure, which doesn't stop when you're, when you're 18 years old. Alfred Gibbs wrote this, unless there is within us that which is above us, we will soon yield to that which is around us. Let me say that again. It's just a great quote. Unless there is within us that which is above us, we will soon yield to that which is around us. In Proverbs, the book of Proverbs will find the, provide the spiritual ability to act when God's wisdom is counterintuitive, cross-cultural, against the norm, and it will supply courage to act when God's promptings of wisdom are against our own intuition. Let me ask you, are you wise enough to know that you're, you're not nearly as wise as, as you think you are? <laughs> are you wise enough to know that you need to learn? Are you wise enough to know that you need to grow? Are you wise enough to listen to someone who has not only been given the wisdom of God divinely through revelation, but also 
experience the highs and the lows of life and say, as I've been there and done that, learn from my experience and my, my mistakes or do you wanna learn from your own? Proverbs, <laughs> Proverbs in some senses is the most convicting book I've ever experienced. It is penetrating and there's no anesthetic. It just pops you in the spiritual face, verse after verse after verse. Now, a few things as we begin this book. Parents, please listen up. Please, and when I say take notes, I don't mean just write things down, but take notes from Solomon. Apply these these principles, especially in these first nine chapters. Apply these principles to the person that God's called you to be and the way he's called you to set the standards in your home for your children to be mentored by you, not just raised by you. God intends for there to be a spiritual legacy from fathers to sons and mothers to daughters. And it's laid out clearly here in these first nine chapters, all the way through, but the first nine chapters are specifically aimed at that. But above all of that, all, all of that the only thing that's gonna allow you and me to learn from and study from and grow from and grow in the book of Proverbs is Humility. Proverbs is a corrective. Are you correctable? Proverbs is instruction. Are you teachable? Proverbs can be a mentor. Are you discipleable? I want to encourage you as we start this study over the next few years, I think it's going to be, that Proverbs becomes a bit of a side study, maybe a spine of your application of, of God's word that, that you can a- allow to exist as you study and read other things. That it's something you keep in parallel with the rest of your spiritual growth, the rest of your Bible reading, the rest of your, your path for discipleship. The people who I've known who devoted their lives to the study of and application of the book of Proverbs are amazing folks. They're different They're humble, they're happy, they're teachable, and they're teachers. They're not rattled by life. They can handle adversity. They can rise above the moment and see the eternal. So I wanna encourage you, own this book. Don't read it once, don't read it twice. Just keep reading it. Never, ever let your thirst be quenched for the wisdom that Solomon has outlined here. Now, if you look down through the book of Proverbs, you're gonna find several themes that stand out. And some of the men are gonna be teaching on these in the coming weeks, so I won't steal much of their thunder. But verse seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. There's, a, there's two paths. You pursue wisdom with the Lord or you're a fool. Also, if you have a self-esteem problem, you probably shouldn't study the book of Proverbs. <laughs> it is not lightweight. It basically says, you're acting like a fool, stop. Identify yourself as a fool and stop being that. And then ultimately, look at Proverbs chapter nine, verse 10. This is another way of saying what he says in one seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the start of being a wise man or woman. It's the beginning. And here it is. Knowledge of the Holy One 
is understanding. In other words, Proverbs sets us on a course of theology. Knowledge of the Holy One, that's God. It's a study of the nature of God in human relationships. It shows us how to relate to the Lord and how to relate to others and how to relate to and control ourselves. It's a book of self-control, actually. So are you wise enough to know you're not wise enough? That's the launching and beginning next week, we're gonna dive into the actual first six verses of this, this text. 